1: with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at Hyundaiusa.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports I college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting total birds and leaky black matt norlander is here with me if you're watching on youtube please go ahead and smash that like button like your brandon davies you have consent and if you are watching on youtube uh let me go ahead and apologize for my appearance i now have 14 stitches above my left eye and my left eye is swollen pretty badly it turns out and i guess i, I always assume this but never really knew for sure turns out headbutting the corner of a dresser in the middle of the night it can take a toll on your head. Hey, dead leg. How are you?
1: Hey, dead eye. <laughs> dead oh, eye, Dick. <laughs> oh my God! What Aren't you dick. really looking at that camera? Can you? Can we get the full thing? Can we? Can yeah, we? Just... I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. When you. I'm gonna wear
0: the hat for the rest of the episode, um, just because it covers most of it up. But in the spirit of transparency, yes. go ahead. Let's... and 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 to uh, let people who might be watching the Veterans Classic on Friday night know what they're going to be dealing with on the sideline.
1: Take a look at this nonsense. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's taking it off. Oh, my gosh. Look at look at our guy. Our, uh, look at our guy. If you are obviously a lot of people listen to the podcast and don't watch Uh, You can follow Ion College Basketball Podcast. Go to the YouTube channel. By the way, the fastest way to get the podcast is to watch live on YouTube. That's the fastest way. So, a reminder there. GP just showed you. You legitimately look like you got into a boxing match, man. And so let me be clear here. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk plenty about college hoops. But we have to acknowledge this right off the jump. Because, one, this is like literally – this might actually impact your your vocation, your day-to-day life here. You're supposed to be on – Television in two days doing sideline duty. Dude, 14 stitches. And so what? You got into a fight with a dresser in the middle of the night here? What no, exactly happened, man? Okay, so if you go back and watch
0: the Leaky Black episode, and shouts to Leaky Black. He was tremendous. I appreciate all the nice responses we for, we got for, for sure. doing that. He was, like, having Leaky Black was going to be fun no matter what, just because it's Leaky Black and he's a part of the podcast. But, like, having him actually be good, you never know um, if a student athlete is going to be comfortable in that setting and, and, you know, interesting in that setting. And I I thought he was just tremendous. I hope he plays basketball forever, but if he ever wants to have a job in this part of the business, um, he seems equipped to be able to do that. Smart guy, sharp guy. He was a lot of fun to talk to, but if you go back and watch that on YouTube, you'll watch it closely. You'll see a few times where I clearly hit the mute button on my mic and I was coughing. And that's because at some point, on like late friday nights early saturday i developed a a cough now keep in mind we had just been at disney world for a week you know trap flying there flying back you know you're in space mountain with a million people i'd been exposed to a lot of people and i've had four covid shots and a flu shot so i'm just i'm just broadly speaking not that concerned about it you know my kids are vaccinated my wife's vaccinated i was like we'll be fine Come back home, not feeling so well by Friday night, Saturday morning, but I'm getting through it. I'm not the type that when I don't feel well, I just shut it down. My wife's always like, I don't feel well. I have to get in bed and lay there all day. And I'm like, I don't feel well, but I'm going to, you know, I was going to go play golf. So I'm going to go play golf. I don't feel well, but I got to work. I'm going to work. I just, I just plunge through it. And that's what I was doing, doing the leaky black episode. Um, you know, even play golf on Sunday, not feeling well, but I was coughing pretty considerably. Took a, a COVID test that came back negative. So I'm like, okay, well, I just got a common cold then. It's probably not the flu because I know you can get the flu after a flu shot, but I've literally never had the flu after a flu shot. And so I was like, it's probably not the flu. No, it's not COVID. It's just a cold. I've got a cough. It'll be fine. I'll swig Dayquil. Wouldn't play golf Sunday. Was coughing the entire round, so much so that my guys who I'm playing with were like, Yo, man, you must have that long COVID or something <laughs> like you you, you got to get this under control
1: like during their back swings, It's just rough. Yeah, it was. Day.
0: I mean, I was coughing the whole time. Yeah. It became a running joke throughout the round. Get
1: home. And
0: I already wasn't feeling well. And I just said, all right, I'm going to bed early. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I don't feel well. This is a, probably a good night to just call it a night early. Went to bed at 930. That's the earliest I've been in my own bed asleep in a long time. Went to bed at 930. At some point, pitch black dark, around midnight or so, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I am coughing so uncontrollably that I feel like I'm about to choke to death lying down. And I sort of jump up because I've got to get this cough under control. Now, keep in mind, we just got back from vacation. My wife's store had its five-year-old birthday party on Saturday. So she's been totally consumed with that. I've been consumed with work. Uh, Kids got baseball point being our house was kind of a wreck like there's just stuff everywhere suitcases that probably should be put up ain't quite put up yet just stuff laying around the floor well, i get up in the middle of the night and i'm coughing uncontrollably and i'm trying to get it under control and i'm coughing 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 stumble over something headbutt we have a tall dresser in our bedroom and i headbutted i mean it's obviously not too tall or else i couldn't have headbutted the corner well, not of it. Tall, my man. but it was it was let's say i'm five Almost five eight. The corner of the yeah. thing is maybe like five two, and when I stumbled while coughing, <clears throat> head butted the corner of it, big gash, and it was obvious very quickly that I had a big problem. Then we debated going to the emergency room or not. I said, I don't feel like I'm not hurting. I don't feel concussed. I don't feel disoriented. I know I'm cut. But I don't have much interest in going to an emergency room in the middle of the night. Let's just wait till the morning, call our friends who are doctors and see what they recommend. So we waited. I went to a plastic surgeon on Monday, um, got 14 stitches. They'll be in until next Tuesday, which means more or less, this is what I'm going to look like on the sideline for the Veterans Classic on Friday night. My apologies in advance to Kelvin Sampson.
1: There's always something, man. Start of a season with this podcast. It was two years ago. I Had a dead deer in my yard. There's just there's always something going on. We're providing content. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better. That's unreal. Shouts to Kevin B in the light in the chat. He just said some, some. He calls it a dresser. Many call it a nightstand. That's a <laughs> and that is a that is a that is a good line. Yeah, man. I hope that I is re- like you need because to. speaking of like what. <laughs> just to show you, I'm not faking. I still have a cough.
0: I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. I, I, I can Oh, and, and here's the way we know it was the. We now know it was the flu. Uh, guess who's downstairs right now, in bed with the flu? My five year old. He yeah, actually that's... went to the doctor, got diagnosed with the flu yesterday. Ah, uh, so yeah, I yeah. clearly right. passed it to him.
1: Feel, uh, yeah. Hope hopefully your family's feeling better here as quickly as possible. We actually on the previous pod I mentioned we actually uh wife and I just got our flu shots a couple couple of days ago there, man. Oh man. Yeah. If you got to, uh, if you got to hit that, that little cough button there as many times as you need to, don't worry. I got you. I got you, buddy. And, uh, hopefully you're feeling better. Yeah. Get the, get the frozen bag of peas on that, on that eye as, as often Yeah, as I've been keeping this. Cause I saw your, you shared the photo in our CBS Slack troops Slack room and like, it didn't look great, but it looked manageable. Dude, you are, you're four times worse now than what you I were. Know. like it like in truth on Monday afternoon after I
0: got the stitches I reached out to you know my bosses at CBS Sports Network and I said hey listen I want to be clear I feel fine I don't I just don't look fine and I know I don't ever look like <laughs> like Evan Washburn or 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 she Tracy Wilson or any uh accomplished sideline reporter I, I know I start from a place of disadvantage but like now I don't even look good relative to my own low standards and so i sent a selfie and they were like oh you know it'll be it's it'll be fine you know we'll even have fun with it but you are right it looks way worse today than it looked on monday and it looks way worse today than it looked last night like when i went to bed last night it was not swollen like this and when i woke up this morning my wife looked at me and she was like you're not going to be able to be on tv and so i still think i'm going to be on tv it just is what it is, but I, I I am I am compelled to send a updated selfie to my bosses and just say before I get on this plane, like this is this is what you're dealing with. Are you is everybody comfortable with it? I'm comfortable with it, but I got to make sure everybody else is. What a what programming
1: a just- note on that, just so our listeners know. Um, you know, we're back in the swing of the season. Sunday night episodes, Wednesday mornings, Friday mornings. For the most part, we're going to try and do our Wednesday and Fridays at eleven a.m. Eastern, ten Central, nine Mountain. 8 Pacific. 11 a.m. Wednesday, Friday shows for the most part, except when obviously schedules intervene and we'll we'll move around as need be. Again, the quickest way to get the show is to watch it live on YouTube. But with that being said, if Parrish is on, if, 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 his, if his CBS Sports Network duties continue as planned, we are actually going to go live Thursday evening to preview the weekend and talk about the games because, you know, frankly, there's not a ton to talk about game-wise. We'll get to that very topic in just a second. If, for whatever reason, GP is pulled off a sideline, then we will go Friday morning, 11 Eastern as usual, barring you having to go to the doctor or whatever like that. And we will pick our... Our five games for the weekend, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the quickest way to know when exactly that podcast is going to go up is obviously to be following uh, us on social media. In addition to I on CBB Podcast on Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but that's just a, a schedule tweak for this week. If indeed you wind up doing TV stuff, which I think you'll wind up doing Friday,
0: yeah. I, I, I my plan is still to to go work, and like I've already checked into my flight. Um, but and, and the reason we wouldn't be able to go Friday morning then is because you know we have a, a doubleheader Friday night. Um at the U.S. Naval Academy, Houston St. Joseph's, Princeton Navy. And the shoot arounds are all Friday morning. Four shoot arounds that I'm going to be attending uh, in theory on Friday morning. So if I'm if I, how about this? If I'm in Annapolis, Maryland, tomorrow we will be podcasting on Thursday night. If for some reason I am not in Annapolis, Maryland, we'll just podcast on Friday morning. Uh, we'll let you know soon as soon as we know. So that's that. We're now through two days of the college basketball season there have been unfortunately zero marquee games to date which is a a real bummer so I want to start by asking you this uh, merely for the people who might not understand because this doesn't really happen in other sports baseball has opening day and it's a big thing the NFL has that Thursday night opener and it's a big thing the NBA has a Uh, Season opening doubleheader featuring the reigning champions every year. And it's a big thing. And in college basketball, we started with every top 25 team in action against an outclassed opponent. Literally every top 25 team opened on uh, Monday. With a game in which they were double digit favorites and they all won. So for people who might not understand what we're dealing with, can you dead leg, please explain uh, why this season started a in competition with Monday night football mm-hmm. and the midterm elections mm-hmm. and then b with exactly zero compelling matchups between
1: ranked teams. Right. That's the big issue. And there were a couple, obviously, notable results. We'll get to that in just a little bit here. But as to the the issue of the schedule, uh, you know, it, it it was a problem this season. Hopefully, it's not a problem next season, the season after. Normally, obviously, in the past five, six years, college basketball changed its opening day from a, the Friday night of, of that, you know, in November, second Friday to Tuesday, so that it's not competing with Monday Night Football. You have the Champions Classic because... I want to be as quick as possible as this. Okay, so every college basketball season works backward from the Masters, okay? The Masters is predetermined every single season. The Final Four always happens... Uh, the Monday before the Masters gets played, and then you have X amount of weeks in a given season that get played, and then you work backward from that. Because of the way the calendar broke this season, you know, not the the 7th of November, the 6th of November is not always on the, the same day of the week, right? And you have the election year. You'll recall that in 2020, there was actually a push to have no NCAA action of any kind on election days. No practices, no games, no nothing. There was pushback on that. And so now it's more of, it's an initiative to if you feel like you can not play games on uh, on an election day and and not practice, you know, by all means, go ahead and do that. Uh, for the most part, that wound up being true. There were only a handful of games on Tuesday night on election night. There were some games, including one that we we at least got to mention here before we get out of this podcast. But for the most part, there weren't. So what happens then? Champions Classic gets booted back a week because of this. You don't have that, you know, tentpole event to kick off the season, which is unfortunate because that is a major event. And most every season since the champions classic has been a thing. Paris has gone to it. I've gone to it almost every season. Guess what? It's not happening this year. It's a, it's a week into it. We won't even be at this. Um, So everyone scheduled games on Monday night. The problem is coaches are cowards. They will not schedule. If they can avoid it, they are not going to open up their schedule against a legitimate opponent because, you know, we do have good games coming in the next week. Uh, You know, we've got the Champions Classic. We've got Gonzaga, Texas, Baylor, Virginia, Indiana, Xavier, Villanova, Michigan State, UCLA, Illinois, you know, Maryland, St. Louis, Florida, Florida State, and more. Those are all coming in the next week. We have really, really good games. But if you give coaches the opportunity to say, you know what? I don't get to control my conference schedule. The league's and TV determines when we play, who we play in the league play. The only thing I have control over to a limited ex- extent is my non-conference schedule. So, any bit of control that they can take, they're going to take advantage of. And coming off an off-season, particularly when the portal and all the transfers therein, it's never been, you know, there's never been a higher volume than the past 2 seasons you know, more than 3,600 players have entered the transfer portal in the past two years. They are going to want to play a home game against a quad three or quad four opponent for the most part. You know, you might squeeze in a quad two there, but there's nothing uh, of note there. They are not, if if they are not forced, they are not going to open up with a challenging opponent. Uh, Penny Hardaway is one exception to this. He did go on the road. They did beat Vanderbilt. That's actually a very good win for Memphis, which now is kind of, play with house money next week when it plays at st louis as mentioned in the previous pod memphis is the only program at the power conference level or power conference designation that is opening at season with two road games i wish coaches were less afraid coaches that have a lot of job security but the reason this happened is twofold the election year pushes back champions classic a week and then coaches have control over their non-conference schedules they are going to do this every single time the other thing to this by the way is that there's some there's some murmurs out there that if the if the genie might be out of the bottle in the champions classic and I hope this is not the case but there's definitely a, a, you know some hushed concern over this I guess with Kentucky, Kansas, Duke and Michigan State not at the, as of this moment not being absolutely all on board to going back the way it was and having it be you know if we could play one or two games against Inferior competition. Just let us warm up. Let's ramp up before we get into this big high profile event. Man, we, we really prefer that. Um, obviously, for the sport, that's not the better thing. Uh, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State, for the most part, have fared just fine by opening their seasons for the past decade. By playing one of those other teams in the Champions Classic, uh, it should continue. We need a big event just to help kick off the season. I certainly hope it goes back to that, but uh, I'm I'm told that there's no guarantee right now it's going to go back to that. Hopefully, um, you know, ESPN is obviously the one that that broadcasts that event. Hopefully, ESPN can put its foot down and and really insist that it happens because it's good for it's good for college basketball on television it's good for the sport and that's where we're at it's unfortunate that we are opening up the uh, you know our first wednesday podcast of the season by talking about your unfortunate situation looking like you went up against Tyson and and now you know not having a lot of great games on the schedule until we get to friday but that's the reality of where we are
0: this is why you've got to have somebody looking out for the sport as opposed to everybody looking out for themselves like on the opening weekend of college football this season we had number 5 notre dame at number 2 ohio state Number 11, Oregon against number three, Georgia. Number seven, Utah at Florida. Number 23, Cincinnati at number 19, Arkansas. If football coaches like Nick Saban can be convinced to open with interesting games in the spirit of what's good for the sport, then there is no good reason basketball coaches shouldn't be able to be convinced. To do the same, there's literally nothing that can happen to you in a college basketball opener outside of a serious injury to a marquee player that will change your season in any meaningful way. If you win the game, great. If you lose, it's not really a big deal. So the truth is, and I understand the way the calendar works, but these are all things that can be worked around and should be worked around. The truth is, every year, every year, even election years, the season should start on a non football day and the opening day schedule should at the very least include two interesting matchups to fill a seven o'clock window and a nine o'clock window. That that should not be too much to ask. Like the Philadelphia 76ers don't say, hold up. We'd like to open Mm -hmm. at home against the thunder to ease into this thing. No, the NBA says we need marquee games to start this thing. So we're going Sixers at Celtics and Lakers at Warriors. And if you win, lose, whatever, but we've got to pop this thing off right. And college basketball does not do it. It shouldn't be too much to ask because the alternative to what I'm suggesting is what we're dealing with. and, And the way we started the season is just super duper lame.
1: I, I agree. And we're again, we're going to get a lot of really like uh, the rest of November. Once we we're going to have we'll, and we'll get to the Michigan State Gonzaga aircraft game on our next episode. We'll preview that. That's going to be a good one. Uh, but that's really the only major one this week. And the rest of November is going to be very good. But you just you know, you want to best set up the sport for success. And this was uh, this is what happens when you give coaches the power. Yes, they, they need to have their hand force. Otherwise, we're where we are and all top 25 teams getting a win. Although, yes, a couple got scared. We can get to that as well. But, uh, you know, if if the sport can somehow find a way to ensure that this doesn't happen again, you're going to set it up for success moving forward. And yes, starting on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night would be best every year going forward.
0: So despite the lack of compelling matchups to start the season, there have been some interesting results. Houston's Kelvin Sampson recorded His 700th 700th career victory. TCU, which is ranked 14th in the AP poll, barely got past Arkansas Pine Bluff. USC lost to Florida Gulf Coast. Oklahoma lost to Sam Houston. Florida State lost to Stetson Cal lost to UC Davis. Georgetown, bless them, needed OT to top cop in state. We're going to get into some of that stuff next. But first, a word from our partners.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,
0: So, Deadleg has noted it has not been a compelling start to the season, but I've I've still been watching. I know you've been watching. What if anything has stood out to you?
1: Um, TCU really almost getting knocked over by Pine Bluff. I think was the that and Florida State getting toppled by Stetson were the two biggest ones from opening night. Florida State a projected NCAA tournament team. I had him in the top forty of my rankings. Uh, Leonard Hamilton. His team really get donny give a credit to donny jones who uh who's you know been patiently and diligently trying to uh to build something there at Stetson getting a no doubt about it kind of win uh, you know that's that's where obviously this can this can backfire on you if you're trying to schedule you know what you think will be an easy team at home uh, a lot of teams really flirted with fire there and Florida State wound up getting uh, getting burned in a way that will. I, I still I would still project Florida State to make the NCAA tournament. We are one game in to a thirty-plus game schedule before we get to the NCAA tournament. But if Florida State is a bubble team, losing at home to to Stetson, and I am I actually love this about college basketball. Once we get into like early March, you start to hear a little bit of that out of date, outmoded thinking where. How you're playing then should matter more than... No, every game counts. Every game counts equally. And so if you can't beat Stetson on your home floor, no matter when that game happens, yes, it should have a significant impact on your NCAA tournament case. We'll see if that winds up being the case there. I couldn't help but notice the fact that um, TCU... You know, Creighton got a decent push. It, it wound up, it wound up pulling away. Yeah, they won,
0: They ended up winning by double digits. So if you just look at it, you're like, oh, well, Creighton won by double digits. It's fine. But like, they, they were, they were in trouble for a minute.
1: And that's St. Thomas, a program that the Tommies. shots to the Tommies. They've only been D one for this is the second season. Um, they got a, they got a push there. Um, so TCU and Creighton ranked higher in the preseason than ever before in program history. Uh, I, I, just, I, I couldn't help but. Uh, but notice that I'll also, by the way, um, I had this in my notes. I forgot to bring it up. It, it, Florida State didn't have their big Spanish freshman, Bob Miller, who's out for 16 games because of um, just a whole bunch of nonsense. He shouldn't be suspended that long, but he is. And had he been on the floor, I don't know if it would have made it. Uh, Stetson played that well, but it is, it, we do have to at least note that, that, he wasn't, uh, he, should that have, he wasn't there.
0: He should have enrolled at Memphis. They would have played him no matter what. You're
1: actually you're right. You're right about that. the uh,
0: as well. Should have, should have gone to Memphis. That is yeah, Memphis does
1: not care when the NCAA says you got to sit somebody out. They're just going to play them no matter what. And look what happens when these, that happens.
0: These young people aren't paying attention.
1: On the note of Creighton, um, shouts to uh, Rush the Court pointed this out recently uh, on Twitter, uh reminded me. So in each of the past three seasons, at least one preseason AP Top 10 team went on to f- be unranked at the end of the season. And it's actually happened... Uh, sixteen times overall, sixteen instances in the past ten seasons. So it happens uh pretty much every single season, and in some seasons we have multiple instances of that. Looking at the preseason top ten this season, it's you know, I I think the teams that are in there are Creighton, Arkansas, Duke that are the three candidates. Um, only because of Creighton's early early struggles, Arkansas has a whole new roster, Duke has a new coach. I don't think Creighton will be that, but those are the three teams that I think would be most likely. We'll see if it winds up happening in recent seasons. A year ago. Uh, it was Michigan year before that. It was Wisconsin, uh, and we also had Duke and Kentucky. Those were all preseason top 10 teams two seasons ago. They didn't wind up ranked. You go back in recent history, it's been Florida, Carolina, USC, Xavier, Wichita State, Texas, have all been preseason top 10 teams to finish unranked at the end of the season. We'll see if that winds up being the case there. Um, I've got a couple other observations, but I want to volley this back to you. What stood out to you? What takeaways do you have from the first two nights of the season? Well, um,
0: what you noted, obviously, like I'm obviously paying close attention to the ranked teams that are playing because I've got to update the top 25 and one every morning. And so I'm sort of, you know, creating the comments for that um, for that piece in real time. Like I'm waiting for uh, the Kentucky game to go final so I can go ahead and knock that comment out all right there's one because you had to write 25 new comments on on Monday night the only team in the top 25 and one that did not play Monday was Purdue which played Tuesday and just like everybody else won got um pretty impressive performances from a couple of freshman guards one borderline top 100 another borderline top 200 both started for Purdue and like you know looked comfortable and it was a another reason to believe that despite the roster turnover and the lack of obvious talent in the program, Purdue under Matt Painter is probably going to be um, good again. That's why I have them in the top 25 and one, I believe in Matt Painter. We've talked about that before. So I'm following all that stuff and watching TCU get pushed and Creighton get pushed. Obviously interesting. Um, another thing that stood out, a lot of marquee freshmen did not play. Derek Lively mm-hmm. didn't play. Dariq Whitehead didn't play. Nick Smith did not play at Arkansas. And Adeem Bona, I mentioned, did not play at UCLA. So some of the biggest names projected lottery picks weren't available for various reasons in the season opener. Um, But Jed Howard was. And this is somebody we've talked about a lot. And I'm not going to proclaim victory just yet. But I had consistently the entire offseason said, with all due respect to the recruiting analysts, because they see these guys way more than I see these guys. I always acknowledge that. And my evaluation of Jed Howard was a small sample size, but when I saw him, he looked like a five-star, you know, possible one-and-done NBA draft pick, and yet he was ranked outside of the top 40 in his high school class, and it was just a season opener against Purdue Fort Wayne. I'm happy to wait with the rest of you and see how this plays out. But he looked the part. He was eight of fifteen from the field, five of ten from three. Got twenty-one points, five assists, and looked like he's got a chance to be one of the best freshmen in the country. Even if broadly speaking, he he isn't ranked that way.
1: No, he looked he looked wonderful, uh, and I yeah I, I do expect him to be uh, among the most notable. That was that was good to see. Other ones that stood out, freshman, just real quick. Uh, aside from Jet, who yeah looked good against Purdue Fort Wayne. Uh, Grady Dick might have had the best night yeah. of any freshman. I mean, Grady Dick was again. Grady Dick is his Probably. name. He looks like you think he looks. Twenty three points uh, for Kansas and was. I mean, I was checking in here and there. They won eighty nine sixty four over Omaha, but uh, what I did see there, he would look like the um, the most important player and the best player on the floor in that one. So he had he had a big night. Uh, Keontae George, uh, both are. No, you have Nick Smith, freshman of the year. I have Keontae George, national freshman of the year. He went for 13 points, seven assists, six boards, only one turnover. In uh, Baylor's, you know, they Mississippi Valley State's uh, considered, you know, bottom five team, according to Ken Palm, they rolled them. But Keontae George had a, had a good college opener. Uh, Kaysom Wallace played well. 15 points in his debut for Kentucky, along with nine assists and six rebounds. A pair of steals as well. I thought he did well for himself. And then, two more to note. Uh, Duke was, was shorthanded. Mark Mitchell actually did well for himself. Uh, 18 points, uh, just two assists, but he had a block and a steal. Duke got a push from Jacksonville early, 171-44. They've got so many good freshmen, no Lively, no Whitehead. Mark Mitchell sets up and he, uh, he has a good one. And then, uh, another team hit on a couple teams that almost that almost got toppled. Uh, South Carolina almost lost to South Carolina state. They only won by three. Gigi Jackson had eighteen and ten in that game. so the freshman had a really nice game and a nice debut in Gamecock threads. But South Carolina State uh, nearly pulled it off and I had two people who have been in to see South Carolina in the past month reach out and say because I had South Carolina in my top one hundred and one. they're like, you might be right. But it's looking like it could be a long season. So we'll see. Like just not not rave reviews behind the scenes about how the team they're, they're under first year coach any time. Uh, but those opinions were reflected in the final score and the way that South Carolina actually got its skin of its teeth win against South Carolina State. So those were some freshmen to me that uh that stood out. One more close one. Oh well, we gotta get to two, right? Both in the Big East. Providence got a scare from Ryder. Mm-hmm. The Bronx had the ball down one. Five seconds to go, and then one of their players tripped over himself. It spoiled even a chance to get off a potential uh, shot to, to win the game with an upset. So Providence dodges one. They did not play good defense at all in the first half, uh, but they get the win. And then, oh my, oh my, Georgetown wound up pulling away in overtime. But Coppin State had a, had a little bit of a crazy sequence to tie the game on a three-pointer. Coppin State was leading down the stretch against Patrick Ewing's team, which... Uh, You know, it's been almost 11 months since they actually even won a game. They did get the win. Hoyas got the win. Noisy night in D.C. Of course, I'm only referring to what happened on the basketball floor. And they got the win. But my goodness, Georgetown fans, I know. You're like, you're tired of this. But to open the season, Coppin State, nearby, nearby program, Juan Dixon leading that school. That would have been a huge Ixie. It already was noisy enough that it got to overtime. It was like the only game of real. No province got a little run. But Georgetown, because they hadn't won a game GP in so long, they 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 get the win, but it does not portend to a significant turnaround this season under Ewing.
0: Yeah, I went from focusing. You know, my office, I've obviously, like most people in our jobs, have lots of different screens available. And I went from focusing on cable news, the midterm elections, to all right, I guess I'm going to have to put the volume up on Georgetown and <laughs> and, and pay a little closer attention to this. And like, we've talked about this before. Um, I'm not a Georgetown fan, but I'm a fan of college basketball. And I was thinking about this last night. Georgetown might really be the first university that I was aware of, if this makes sense, because it was such a big brand in college basketball when I was a kid. It was like I just knew Georgetown existed in a way that I don't even think at the time I knew Ole Miss existed, you know. And as, and this Great. is as somebody growing up in Mississippi, I That's just
1: cool for me by the way is Louisville, which I lived at in the mid '80s when they were good, and so I happened to live in the city, and so yeah, mine is mine is yeah, uh, like at the time in the metro metro. There I was we raised go. on the Metro Conference.
0: Shouts to Purvis Ellison. Um, so it's like George, like Patrick Ewing, like I obviously lived in the, in the suburbs of Memphis and this is when Memphis had Keith Lee as a big, and he was a multi-year first team, all American. Um, he was a comparable college player to, to Patrick Ewing, uh, not, not, the not a similar NBA prospect, although he was a, you know, top 15 pick in the draft, but he had an incredible four year career at the collegiate level, same as as Patrick did. And so this was always the thing. Like, the 85 championship game was supposed to be Georgetown against Memphis State, Keith Lee against Patrick Ewing. This is my childhood I'm telling you about. And then, of course, Villanova upsets Memphis and Villanova upsets Georgetown. But that, that, that's a big thing in my childhood. Big John Thompson, Patrick Ewing, Georgetown Hoyas. And to watch that program go from that, and it was, it was like, people... I think sometimes people go well. Georgetown hadn't been Georgetown in forever. Like Jt three took Georgetown to a Final Four and was pretty consistently good um, at, at Georgetown until it kind of it
1: undeniably. Tapered yeah, they had off some there. issues with double digit C's after that Final Four run, but yes, but like we'll, we'll go take. look
0: at his go look at Jt three's Wikipedia page and ask Georgetown fans if right now they would take that all over again. Right yes. in a second. So it didn't just fall off after Big John, but it, it was a monster of a program. And then just to see it go winless in the Big East last season and then struggle with compensating State in the opener. Like, I had no money on this game. (laughs) It it wasn't going to impact the top 25 and one. I swear to you, hand the heart last night. I'm going, come on, Georgetown. Just just figure this out. (laughs) Don't lose. I feel bad for Patrick. You know how badly he wants to not be Mm -hmm. the face of uh, a program that is – Operating, you know, at the place it's been operating for a while, you know how badly he must want to get this to a good place. And maybe he still will. I, I hope so. I just think it would be cool to see Patrick Ewing being great at Georgetown. But <laughs> they had a 21 game losing streak going into the last night and then needed overtime to get past Coppin State. That's, uh, I'm glad it ended well. Because if you're a Georgetown player this morning, somebody says, Hey, how did things go last night? We won by double digits. Just keep it at that. We won by double digits, but they, they needed overtime to get past Coppin State. and We're very close to losing. That was not an encouraging season opening performance.
1: Uh, Georgetown did not win its season opener a year ago at home. Lost to Dartmouth. Ken Palm projects Georgetown to go 6-14 and 14 in the Big East. Uh, both, I think we both would take the under on that. So someone find us uh, right when the Big East is about to start and remind us of our predictions here because we will forget them. GP, I will set it at 3.5 wins in Big East play. Will you go over or under for the Georgetown Hoyas this season? Well. <sighs> I think yeah. two days ago, I probably said "I uh, just over,
0: you know, somebody will be sick on another team. Somebody will turn an ankle. You'll just, you'll win a couple of games at home. You're not supposed to, they'll get there. And they still might, but it's not like, Hey,
1: maybe cop and state's better than we thought. Like Charlotte pound the cop. Cop state was on the second night of a back-to-back crazy, right? That's the thing about it. Not to mention that in the YouTube chat, they played the night before and lost 82 59 at Charlotte was Charlotte, which, you know they're trying to get back to uh to somewhat glory days, but they're like they're a middle of the sport team. They're like you know in CUSA they're a middle of the pack team, and then they actually got routed by them. They come back a day later and they almost peel it off at Georgetown. That's what kind of made it even wilder,
0: right? And so I'm not I'm not optimistic, but maybe maybe we'll look up and we'll go, hey, that was just a really terrible first game for Georgetown, but they look much better you know in the subsequent weeks, but. I'm not I'll sure. Say, oh, I'll say over. I'm. I said it at three I, yeah, and a half. I'm gonna
1: say. Oh, I'm gonna say I'll over say as over. well.
0: Just because, like, you should be able to win four biggies. games.
1: Well, well, they went 0 and 20 last. I year. know what they did. I they went 0 and 20. They did not win one. If we had said it at point five, they would not. But I will say. I will. I will say over. Uh, I will say over as well. Yeah. That's probably the majority of. Oh, any other notable? Well, outcome? I do. I do want to touch on the top of
0: the American Athletic Conference real quick because there was a couple of notable things there. One congratulations to kelvin Sampson. got his 700th career win mm-hmm. and this is the man who spent you know several years out of the sport after being forced to resign at at indiana so like if that never happens if he never has to be forced out at indiana like where is indiana basketball now and how many wins does kelvin Sampson have and does he have a national championship already like all of that stuff is probably yeah. in play yeah. as we talked about before you even go look at that last team he had at Indiana, that was a legitimate national championship contender. And then Dan Dockage took it over and ran it straight into the ground, like immediately just <laughs> <Okay>. torpedoed it. <laughs> like it's unbelievable how <laughs> he took a great thing and just made it awful. But like, you know, there's other examples of that in his, uh, in his own life, I think so. But, but like, Cal- Cal- Calvin could have won a title that year. And if not that year, then in the subsequent years, but either way, after an, after being forced out at Indiana, taking a total rebuilding situation at Houston and missing several years of being a division one men's basketball coach, he's still at 700 career victories. And I think arguably, if not undeniably has his best chance ever right now to actually win a national championship as of yesterday morning, um, North Carolina and Gonzaga, according to Caesar Sportsbook. I mean, North Carolina and Kentucky, rather, according to Caesar Sportsbook, had the best odds to win the national championship. But Houston was was third, and obviously, if you watch the season opener, it was against an outclassed opponent, but they just overwhelmed them. And it was nice to see Selv, uh, Kelvin get that 700th win, and he'll go for 701 on Friday night at the U.S. Naval Academy uh, in the Veterans Class.
1: Trivia time. Okay, let's go. I got two of them. All right. There's going to be one other coach that gets to 700 this season. Do you know who it is? Jim Laranega. Bada bing. I know it because I just was looking at it last night. All right. Jim Laranega sitting at 697. Let me bring up the Miami schedule real quick for you right here. So 697 for Coach L, as they call him. Coach L got a win, got a dub against Lafayette. No, not a lot of drama there. So UNC Greensboro, 698, Florida AM, 699. And then, ooh, right up here in the... Uh, in my, in my state of Connecticut. Uh, win number 700 could come, maybe, against Providence uh, at, at Mohegan Sun next Saturday. Okay. So oh, the the, oh,
0: you got another tribute time?
1: Yeah, yeah. Part of, okay, I, okay. Now, I've, I wondered if you researched this, but I'll ask it anyway. And plus, it's it's uh, something for our listeners to learn. All right, how many active coaches have 700 or more wins in men's D1?
0: I was going to ask you this, and then I was like, I don't feel like looking it up, so I just scrapped maybe I think the whole how thing. we're on the
1: same... I, I I wondered if you might look it up as well. It's like, if he tries to trivia time me with this, I'm not going to even. I won't. Even so
0: obviously, it. Um, Bob Huggins.
1: Yes, John A- Calipari. 41 at the D level for Bob Huggins. Yeah, John Calipari. Calipari, yes, he's at 768. Some of these are NCAA vacated, adjusted, but Yes, oh, whatever. Uh, Jim Beheim. How about this on Jim Beheim? Jim Beheim obviously has the most of any active coach. Bayheim just got. Bayheim was on the sideline. For his 1,100th victory. Okay, I'll phrase it that way. Beheim was on the sideline for his 1,100th victory on opening night against Lehigh. But because 101 wins have been taken away from him, he's now sitting at 999 in the eyes of the NCAA. Meaning, if Syracuse beats Colgate in its next game, and that won't be an easy one. Colgate's good. But if Syracuse beats Colgate in its next game, Jim Beheim will make history. He'll become the first coach to ever win 1,000 games twice. so
0: that's, <laughs> It's ridiculous. Uh,
1: it, it is ridiculous. Jim Benyheim has overseen 1,100 wins at Syracuse. That's the number that I choose to recognize. The NCAA technically has him sitting at 999. He will, when his career ends, most likely surpass Mike Krzyzewski for having the most, you know, overseen the most victories in the history of D1, whatever. So, so how many have we named now? You have named Huggins. Uh, uh, the question is how many there are. You oh, yeah. have named Huggins. We Obviously, Samson's baked in. Bayheim, uh, Calipari. I think you got those four. So we we need a we need more, but I don't want to tell you how many more because I need the number. Right, I'm just going to try to talk through it. Bill Self that's, is there? I think right. seven sixty three. That's five. Is Rick Barnes there already? That's right. Seven fifty four. That's six. I, I you might have you might have mentioned another coach. I just don't remember if you mentioned it or not. I think you did. Did you mention Patino? no but he was in my head petino okay. we'll obviously you. obviously seven. we could be done at 7 or there could be more you, you you think through it
0: those are the only ones that pop into my head who am i missing am i how many how many
1: am i missing you are missing two there are nine active division 1 men's basketball coaches with at least 700 wins
0: <sighs> i feel like we talked about this at one point and surprisingly at least surprisingly to me,
1: Dana Altman's name came up. Bada bing. Dana Altman is lowest on the list. Well, now Kelvin's technically lowest. Dana Altman's at 7'10". The last one's tough. Not a coach of a power conference program currently. Hmm. But been doing this at the D1 level since 1975. So it's an older fella. He's 76. He'll be 77. In December. Plays the base. Did he used to coach in a
0: power conference? That is correct. In the SEC.
1: That is correct. At Auburn. That is correct. Cliff Ellis. That is right. Cliff Ellis is the ninth. He is at 894. Cliff Ellis is going to get to 900 wins. Good for him. I
0: remember a few years ago, this was several years ago. Cliff was coming off of some sort of surgery. Like, I don't remember if it was a knee or a hip, the type of surgery that is, you know, very common for um, a person who is at at an advanced age. And and he was limping into uh, Peach Jam. And I was sitting with a younger coach. And he said, GP, I, I swear to God, if you ever see me walk into a gym like that, come, come take me and put me back on my plane and send me home <laughs> and just t- tell me it's time. I've had a good career, but it's time to to not do this anymore. But, you know, and, and I, it, what's funny is coaches always say that when they're young. And then and then they are that guy that happens. Almost exactly. none of them actually walk away uh, when Jay when Wright walked away. Jay Wright did. Jay Wright did. But most of the guys who say you'll never see me coaching at 60. They're like they're 67 right now. And still coaching with no end in sight, or something similar to that. So, most coaches don't actually walk away they, the way they'd like to think that they would. Um, but most of them, most of them do say something like that. You you rarely hear a coach in his 40s talking about, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm planning to still be coaching in my 70s." They a- almost always say, "I'm gonna try to get out of here by by 60." And 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 I, I do think that 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 might be more of a reality going forward. I do too just given how much money these guys
1: make now money and then just, I don't know the nature and, of the job. It's always not been an easy job, but it's, right. it's more challenging than it's ever. been. by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this cliff Ellis has been rocking it hardcore at coastal Carolina since 2007. He is still there.
0: Yeah. So you get a lot of, um, you, you get a lot of guys who've got so much money that they can, they can go, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore, which is kind of what Jay decided for a variety of reasons. So I think it might become more common guys walking away. But for the most part, um, the guys, who, uh, you know, I've been doing this now for more than 20 years. And I can remember having conversations with guys 15, 20 years ago who were like, I'll, I'll never be here when I'm 60. And they're like literally still running some of the best programs in the country in their 60s right now.
1: That is how it goes.
0: Uh, so, yeah, What else you got? Well, elsewhere in the American, you touched on this, um, but it was probably one of the most notable results for the first two nights. Um, Memphis was the only power conference team to play a power conference team in its season opener, and the Tigers went on the road and played a Vanderbilt team that had reportedly handled Xavier pretty easily in a scrimmage the week before. And I don't know how much of this game you saw, but Memphis, like, controlled it from start to finish. They were up by double digits early, by 19 at one point, and won the game by nine. Um, Kendrick Davis was good. DeAndre Williams was um, his usual self. You know, John Rostin pointed this out on Twitter. It's something I've obviously mentioned before. Since DeAndre Williams enrolled at Memphis, um, when he plays, the Tigers are thirty-six and twelve, and when he doesn't, they're just seven and seven. And so, what's wild is that, under Penny Hardaway, that Memphis program has enrolled five five-star guys, including you know top twenty picks like Precious Achua, James Wiseman, uh, Jalen Duran. and yet you can argue quite convincingly that the most important player to the Memphis program in the Penny Hardaway era has not been a five-star freshman, even though Penny has had two top-ranked recruiting classes. The most important player of the Penny Hardaway era is actually a 26-year-old transfer from Evansville, and that appears to still uh, be the case. Memphis has one terrific college basketball player in Kendrick Davis, another very good one in DeAndre Williams, and then just a bunch of role players. And they look like a pretty good college basketball team. They're really old, according to Ken Palm, literally the most experienced team in in the country. Now yeah. they don't have a lot of experience playing together, but they've got a lot of experience at the Division One level. Penny only played seven guys at least fifteen minutes. Rotation was short. Um, everybody seemed to understand their roles. Even DeAndre Williams said, "You know, one of the differences between the start of this season and the start of last season is that you know nobody's on the bench complaining about playing time." Nobody's complaining about shots. You know, everybody understands their role and it was a, it was a nice first impression. And now Memphis goes on the road once again on Tuesday uh, to play St. Louis. Mm-hmm. If they were to win that one, and that's going to be tough. St. Louis is good. And then come home and beat VCU. Uh, they would open the season with three straight wins over top 100 Kimpom teams and might be able to break into the associated press top 25 poll on the subsequent Monday.
1: Yeah. Uh, I didn't have Vandy in my top 101 entering the season. They are that at Ken Palm. They're 74 right now. We'll see. That that will probably be a quad two win at worst. Hopefully for Memphis. The the benefit here is that if you're able, you've are like now. It's it's a little bit of a house money situation. St. Louis will be a tough one to pull off. But if you get it, my goodness, talk about uh, really benefiting your at large case down the road. Why these games do matter. I went on your radio show earlier this week and said that very thing. These things can have really strong. Downstream effects. Once we get to trying to figure out if whether you should be in or out, and if you're in, you know, seed line, knock them up a spot, right? So we'll see if they can pull it off. They got the road win under their belt. That's a big one. That's a nice. That's a nice add for Memphis there, and obviously an intriguing team to follow this season because yes, it's Kendrick Davis. We'll see. Like it's not unthinkable he could be the American Player of the Year. Houston's got dudes, no doubt about it. But if Kendrick Davis winds up being the guy who truly. Uh, changes the game for Memphis, and maybe you know he's certainly good enough. He's one of the best guards in the country there, and then DeAndre Williams. Like, yeah, wh- what do you want me to say, Parrish? You-, you have a 26 year old on your roster that is going to make a difference. Yes, there's a lot of gu- a lot of teams have a lot of old guys. Those old guys are like 22, some 23 year old dudes. 26. 26. He has lived a life. He's practically ready to write a memoir. I actually think that has real tangible effects on Memphis's outlook this season. We'll see if they can keep it going. They don't play again. for. I don't know why there's an eight day gap. They don't play again. Like, like even
0: Jerry Stackhouse, even Jerry Stackhouse after the game said, "Uh, you know, one of those guys over there used to play with me.
1: Exactly. <laughs> like, and I'm sure like for DeAndre Williams, the jokes have gotten like old, maybe he rolls with it. I don't know, yeah. but dude, it's, it's actually, I think it's a, it's a fun little plot line of this. He, he's 20. He, dude is, playing college basketball, 26 years old. There's got to be, I mean, it's 20% of the NBA younger than him. Probably like how many guys are playing, are getting an NBA paycheck on a roster right now that are younger than Deandre Williams. Incredible.
0: I, I, I should do this just for just to, but like, I think you could do top seven players in the Grizzlies rotation right now, top seven players in the Tigers rotation right now. And the Grizzlies might on average be younger.
1: They, I, I would, I bet you they are. They gotta be. Yeah, they got to be. Top seven in the rotation? I mean, it's close yeah. because
0: like jaw's 23 now. Um, but like yeah. Jake LaRavia is in the rotation. David Roddy is in the rotation. They got multiple rookies in the rotation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The Grizzlies and Tigers aren't that different in terms of age. Sounds like is- a
1: radio segment for you, my man.
0: I'll get to it at some point. I'll get to it at, uh, at some point. Before we get out of here, somebody did in the YouTube comments uh, mention John Gallagher. And I, I do think that's worth noting because, you know, he was a big story in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago when he got um, Hartford there for the first time in school history. And, you know, a- as you know, that that school is now transitioning to a lower level of college basketball. And John uh, literally on opening day Monday um, submitted his resignation um, and and accused the school of being in breach of contract. Um you talked to John and wrote the story. I texted with him. Like he, he's one of my favorite people. He's just like every once in a while, you'll get these random conversations. Like if you could hang out with four basketball coaches, who would they be? And you know, that the, I think we even did a candid coaches question on this one time. And the names that often come up are like Bob Huggins. Cause he's a blast. And Bill self is a lot of fun. Um, but like, if you get outside of the big names and you like really have been around college basketball coaches, Like John Gallagher is going to be on that list for a lot of people. He's a trip and it just, man, I hate it for him that he finds himself in, in this situation um, because he, and the people who care about that program, um, you know, I, I know I'm talking about this from a distance and there's two sides to every story, but I, I think he deserved better and I wish he got better because I, I like, I like him leading and caring deeply about that program. And I don't like him being out of the sport.
1: Yeah, we've got two coaching changes. Uh, that have already happened. You had Steve Masiello, who was fired at Manhattan and now is an unpaid advisor to Rick Pitino. Pitino, Obviously, Mass played for him. Uh, He's now (laughs) at Iona. So that's a wild one. And then, yes, Gallagher resigned on Monday. I did ask. I was like, hey, just just so I'm clear, you're not going to go anywhere else. He's like, no, I'm not coaching this season. It just reached a breaking point. He did tell me and none of our none of our conversation was off the record. So he said, listen, I could have put a lot more stuff in that letter than I did. I could, you know, and again, two sides to every story, but the absolute breaking point was when the school, now Hartford's transitioning out of division one down to division three and Gallagher and many others have tried to change that and keep it a division one program. And literally they made the 2021 NCAA tournament for the first time. They play against Baylor, they lose against Baylor. And within 24 hours of that experience, which is so validating for a coach and a staff and a school at a level like Hartford, right. Coming out of the America East where Vermont's dominated that conference for the better part of 10, 15 years, you break through, you make the tournament just incredible. He learns, Oh, by the way. Yeah. Great job. But, uh, but in a few years, your school's not even gonna be able to play in this thing. Cause we're moving you down to D3. Now I'm not even getting to the economics of their, of their athletics part, whatever. He tried to reverse that and, and failed in that, in that push. Um, Slowly, but surely, over the past you know year, year and a half, uh, Gallagher has felt as though you know the support and resources around his program have continually been stripped away uh, that he has been lied to, misled, and the biggest issue he had as of late, he told me he was debating resigning for a month, okay, but the biggest issue he had was when Hartford which still is not a it, it's not a terrible team. It beat Dartmouth in this scrimmage that it went up and played against uh, the Big Green. But they go up to this scrimmage at Dartmouth. Hartford doesn't send a trainer, which is not, com- not commonplace. Yes, Dartmouth had a trainer on staff, obviously. But a Hartford player winds up getting injured. And Gallagher said, I couldn't sleep. I was sick. I couldn't focus the next day. This really messed me up. Uh, I didn't like it. I was never comfortable with it to begin with that. We were driving up there. We were on a bus and there wasn't a trainer on the bus with us. It just had never happened. You don't do this, particularly if you're, you know, Hartford's still technically a division one institution. It's independent this season. It's out of the America East. It's going to be D3 in just a couple of years here. And so he felt, and he, this is quoted in the story, but he's like, the fact of the matter is, the players are going to be treated better if I'm not there. The relationship between the president and myself, and the athletic director and myself, like it just got to a point where it wasn't a it wasn't a productive situation, you know. And so by me stepping away, him doing it now, his longtime assistant gets a chance to be the interim coach, and you know that's you know good for him and all that. But it is, yeah, it's, it was. It certainly got more attention than I thought it would, but a lot of that was because of the allegations made in the letter. Now the school did refute. Some of that, refute some of that, and say that some of that stuff was baseless, and Gallagher wasn't, uh, you know, all right in what he was saying. So be it. Hartford has uh, certainly made a mess of itself, and you know what? We're not going to be talking about Hartford basketball anymore. Not that we did much to do did to begin with, but they're going to D three, and uh, certainly not a uh, not a way to drape yourself in glory on the way out of the Division one level. All right, I think it's time for me to go put an ice pack on my face. Yeah, you need to go take get that taken care of man that's uh <laughs> goodness gracious man. how
0: about literally on the opening day of the season like there's never a good time to do this it hurts yeah. <laughs> but i could have done this in may or june july It would not have been that big of a deal
1: oh man yeah i've got a i i should be good to go on our next part i got a i got like a you know a big time dentist cleaning situation later today I gotta get that done, but I gotta figure that I'm good to talk tomorrow night. <laughs> I better be.
0: If I can talk under these circumstances, you
1: can talk. Well, you know, under but your You visuals. can talk. It's, it's more your appearance. You can talk. I think. I think that I am good to go. But yes, I gotta. I got a dentist appointment this afternoon. We're off to
0: a rough start. I know. It's a, a lot of chat. Life is full of challenges. You know. I hear you.
1: Life hear is full you. of
0: challenges. You just try they to. said
1: We couldn't make this episode 55 minutes long. Well, we grew it <laughs> on yet again. All I need is – dude, I can get 55
0: minutes out of anything, especially on, on the first episode since I've had 14 stitches put above my left eye. Not a problem. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck and Larnell. And thank you, guys, once again, for listening to the Allen College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars, nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. Certain of that. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done that yet. We're going to talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road